good to be back with everybody again. Um, been kind of on the wedding circuit for the last couple of weeks. It's that time of year. Um, had the privilege of walking my daughter down the aisle last weekend, so truly grateful. Yeah. Grateful for the prayers, the texts, the encouragement. We made it. It was good. Um, had, a, had a great weekend. So, But it's really great to be back because I'm very excited about this new mini-series. This is one of these, um, one of these little parts of Ephesians that really hits you hard. I'm telling you, for the last couple of months, I've been working on these four sermons, and, um, and they're going to really hit us hard. So I'm excited to get into it, some great stuff. Um, you'll recall in the previous series, Paul taught us about this whole changing clothes thing. He talked about getting rid of the old self, putting that off, and then putting on the new self. And he painted this remarkable contrast, literally as stark as darkness is to light, where the old self was marked by all those words you see up there um, on that red box, in those red boxes. Empty, perverse, devoid of truth, depraved, a mind darkened in understanding, alienated, ignorant, callous, focused on sensuality and impurity. That's the old way. Some really, really difficult words there. And then the contrast, he uses that word, but. The new self, it's marked by being born again into a new life in Christ, where we're in a relationship with Jesus, where we become more like him each day by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. And the more we get to know Jesus, the more repulsive we seem to find things in the old life. And that's why we likened it to a steaming pot of turds. And I know that's a little crass. I know sometimes we're like, oh, you can't say that kind of stuff in church. But in all honesty, that's the best language I could come up with in 2023 to really capture what it is that Paul's showing us here, because that's exactly what it is. And I wonder, do we start to really appreciate our sin this way? Are we seeing our sin like that? Or are we still kind of like glossing it over? Because that's what Paul wants us to do. And so to make his point, he evokes this image of changing clothes. And they're so nasty, so foul, that you gotta put that old stuff off, and then you gotta put the new stuff on. That's the general teaching that will kinda oversee everything that we look at over these next four weeks. So once again, once we've been born again, we've placed our faith in Jesus, we've been washed in his blood, and we've received the Holy Spirit, we gotta do something. And that's what Paul's telling us here. Yeah, we gotta pray, praying isn't really important, but we gotta do something else, we need to change our behavior. We've got to change our clothes. And to ensure we apply this to our lives, Paul gives four very specific examples. Lying, anger, stealing, and corrupt talk. And we're going to work through each of these of these next four weeks. And I'm telling you, it's a challenge. None of you think you're liars. None of you think you steal. Where do you see how we unpack this? Man, it's convicting. It's very convicting. So I encourage you to keep coming back each week as we work our way through this. So today we're going to look at falsehoods or lying. Paul writes, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So let's begin by considering, why is it that Paul starts with falsehoods? There's got to be a reason, because he doesn't do things haphazardly. And although he doesn't give us the reason here, it's worth at least our brief consideration. I came up with four potential reasons. First, it could very well be 
that Paul starts here because the original or the first sin was born through a lie. Remember how the devil tempted Eve to eat the fruit in the garden. He began by sowing those seeds of doubt. He asked, did God really say you couldn't eat it? And of course, Eve replied, yeah, because if we do, we'll die. To which the devil responded, you will not surely die, which was a clear lie because that is actually the penalty for our sin. It's the reason why all of us will die one day, because of sin. Second, listen to how Jesus describes the devil in John's gospel. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So perhaps another reason Paul starts with lies is because he doesn't want us to follow after the devil, who is the father of lies. Third, when you step back and look at the totality of our sin, lying is perhaps the most pre prevalent of all. And we become so good at it that we don't even realize how much we do it. Now, I don't know if this applies to everyone in here, but as I've studied this text, this particular one, over the past few months, I've come to, per, to appreciate the pervasiveness of sin in my own life, to the point where when we bow our knee before God on the final day of judgment, if our rap sheet looks like this up here on the wall, the part in red up there will most likely be attributed to lies. They're the basis of nearly all of our sin. I know that's at least the case for me. And then fourth, lying or falsehood runs counter to the truth. It is the exact opposite of truth. So it is diametrically opposed to the very foundation of God, who is the author of truth. Now, what do we mean when we say he's the author of truth? Well, remember, whenever God speaks, whatever he says, it comes into existence. When he created the whole heavens and the earth, on the, day, the first day he said, let there be light, and there was light. And that light has certain properties. For example, it travels at 299,792,458 meters per second, and that is because God said so. He's the author of truth. In fact, Jesus describes himself as the way, the truth, and the life. So when we lie, we're in direct opposition to God. We've essentially joined the enemy's ranks. So this wasn't some random choice to lead things off here with falsehoods. Paul has good reason to start here. Okay, so now let's step back to 30,000 feet and take a look at our text. And what we're going to find is that it basically breaks down into three distinct areas, and it's all about clothes. First, Paul tells us to put something off or away. That's the falsehood or the lies, the nasty, smelly clothes. Second, we're to put something on, speak the truth with our neighbors. In other words, put on that robe of true righteousness and holiness that Paul taught us about a few weeks ago. And then third, he gives us the reason why we need to change our clothes, for we are members one of another. So let's go ahead and break these down in turn. First, falsehoods, the thing we're supposed to put off. The word Paul uses in the original language is pseudos, which means lie, intentional falsehood, deceitful, or whatever is not what it seems. I really like that last part. Now, of course, when we hear this word lie, we all know what it means, and we typically don't like liars. 
And yet that's perhaps the height of hypocrisy in our lives because all of us are liars and we're pretty good ones too. We lie countless times a day, intentionally or unintentionally, conveying falsehoods for any number of reasons. Sometimes it's because we're ashamed or embarrassed. We don't want people to know the truth about us. Sometimes it's because we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. We're afraid we might lose a friend or we might upset somebody. Sometimes we exaggerate to make a point because maybe we just want people to take us a little bit more seriously. Sometimes it's because we're upset and we deliberately want to hurt someone or make them look bad somehow. And sometimes it's because we want to manipulate some outcome. I know that's the case for me. There are any number of reasons. We could probably spend the entire morning listing those reasons, but at the end of the day, the Bible tells us why. Jeremiah writes, because our hearts are deceitful above all else. So one of the first characteristics about lies is that they are common to all of us. And we learn to do them at a young age. How? Our parents teach us. We have learned it because we pass it down. We pass down this art of lying from generation to generation. It's actually ironic when you think about it because telling the truth is one of the first things that parents try to teach their children. And then, when the child goes over to Aunt Betty's house and points out that she has a hairy lip, what do we say? Immediately, mom's like, you can't say that. What are you doing, right? But Aunt Betty does have a hairy lip. It's troubling to the child. It needs to be addressed. But mom just said, we can't talk about it. She even scolded me with those angry mom eyes. You all know what I'm talking about. So that's really hard for a four-year-old to grasp. They think to themselves, wait, I'm confused because there's hair on that lip. It's true, but I can't speak about that because my mom said so. So we learn at a young age that we're to lie sometimes and not to lie at other times. Or more specifically, we're taught it's good to be deceitful and to blur the truth in some cases. Why? Because the only authority I know at this point in my life as a young four-year-old is my parents, and they said so, so it must be something I should do. Now, it may seem innocent, but it's what launches us into what I call the sin spiral. We start with that straight edge of truth, that green vertical line up there, and when we deviate from it, even with a little white lie, we spin further and further away from the truth. We often justify it in the name of being kind or good manners or because of some social norm out there. But when you break it down, it's always because things don't look the way we want them to. So we tell a lie. There. That's a little bit better. But then we usually have to tell another lie to cover that one up. And we spin further and further away from that straight edge of truth where our lives become messier with each iteration, making us prone to even more lies. And we can perhaps see this best when we consider the strain that lying puts on our memories. Because you've got to have a really good memory if you're going to be a good liar. Because you tell somebody one thing, you tell somebody else something else, you've got to remember who you told what, and then when they all get in the same room together, you just hope that particular topic doesn't come up because you know you're going to get busted. And that's perhaps why our memories start to go when we get old. 
We're just worn out from covering up all those lies. But if you just always tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you told each person. So what actually lies at the root of falsehoods is primarily that we don't like the truth. We aren't happy with the way things are, so we try to make them appear differently. We don't like our social status, so we go out and buy a car that we can't afford, and we live a lie. We don't want people to know that we're lonely, so we go out and friend everybody we possibly can on Facebook so that people think we have a lot of friends, but you know what? We're still lonely. Because falsehoods are whatever is not what it seems. That's part of the definition up there. So we make things seem a way that is not true to their essence or to how they really are. And when you think about lies that way, it's a very broad category. It describes a great deal of our lives. So much so that we don't even realize how far from that straight edge of truth we've traveled. For example, when people ask you, how's your day? What do you typically respond with? Great, fine, good, even though it's been absolutely horrible and you got a lot of weight on your shoulders? Or how often do you just check that little box that says we've read and we understand all the fine print? Just check it anyway. Think about all the false advertising that we're exposed to every day. Fake news, spam calls, phishing hacks on the internet, and then of course, social media. It's actually built on falsehoods, creating this seemingly perfect online presence. What a life I have. All the while, our life is actually a dumpster fire. And the nastier it gets, the more we dress these things up. You starting to see how numb we've become to falsehoods? How we built up calluses, as Paul taught us, by repeatedly engaging in it? So it's no big deal now. Besides, everyone else is doing it too. We're surrounded by sham after sham. Genuine, honest, candid truth is nearly impossible to find. In fact, whenever we run across someone who's even somewhat of a truth teller, we typically label them as pointy, don't we? They're pointy people. They have rough edges. Kind of avoid those guys, right? Stay far away from them. And that's because we've spiraled so far away from that straight edge of truth. And that's why we avoid them. We don't like them because they could blow our cover. So are you beginning to see how prevalent, subversive, and pervasive lies are throughout our lives? And if you're not, it may be because you're really good at them. You still can't even see it now after we're talking about it. And so I would urge you, some point this week, ask, seek, and knock for the Holy Spirit to start revealing lies in your life. I'm telling you, it's going to get your attention. It has mine. But here's the thing. Perhaps the most subtle and insidious form of falsehoods are the lies we tell ourselves. Think about that for a second. That's a pretty profound topic. The lies that we tell ourselves. Think about those words from our inner voice. You're not good enough. You're worthless. It's a lie. Or on the other extreme, we stand in front of the mirror in the morning. We say, hey, Lyle, you're a pretty good-looking guy. Handsome and powerful man, right? Another lie. I don't do that, by the way. I don't just... <laughs> or we speak of our great marriage in public. All unicorns and rainbows over here at my house, all the while we secretly despise our spouses. Or we engage with pornography and we tell ourselves that everyone else is doing it, so it must be okay. 
Or that famous line, look, this is not my fault. This guy's a jerk over here. He just gets what he's deserving. All day, every day, lie after lie to ourselves, often to make ourselves feel better or to build ourselves up. But when you really think about it, lying to ourselves is on the borderline of insanity. For example, imagine you're about to step on the footbridge you see up there on the wall, right? There's water below, and you can't see it, but there's these hungry alligators down there. So the stakes are high about this bridge. And so you step your foot out on that first plank to see if it'll hold you, and it starts creaking a little bit, and you're like, man, I don't know if this is going to work. There's no way this is going to hold me. So you step back, but then you think to yourself, wait a second, I don't want people thinking I don't have the courage to walk this bridge, or there's something on the other side I really want to get to, so I'm going to walk this bridge, or hey, it's just a cool thing to do, so I'm going to go ahead and take a step on this bridge, even though I don't know if it's going to hold me. And so you take that step, you bust through the plank, and you fall into the water. Why? Because you lied to yourself, and now you're some alligator's lunch. Do you see how ridiculous that is? But that's what happens when we spin further and further away from that straight edge of truth. It's so often the cause of the pain, the depression, and the anxiety in our lives. But now unlike lies, truth is straightforward. It's got a great definition. It's right, honest dealing, and the things of God. So we're not just to stop the lying thing, but we're also to do something instead. We're to start speaking the truth. So again, this requires effort. This is one of those things we just go pray about. Certainly we need to pray about it, but then we gotta start working at it. Because whenever we open our mouths, one of two things come out, either truth or lies. There is no in between. And since we interact with others, our family, friends, and neighbors, primarily through speaking, we must be very careful about what it is that we say so that it is right, honest, and of the things of God, so that we speak in step with the way things actually are, not the way we want people to see it. That's why coaches and mentors are so helpful in our lives, because they keep us accountable to the truth. I've had some great ones over the years. They've been so helpful to me. Now, sometimes we look at our coaches and we're not happy with them because they're giving us a hard time, but they're actually holding us accountable to the truth. If you think about athletics for just a minute, it's a great example where truth comes out because you can stand around the water cooler at work and you can lie about how great of a golfer you are. But whenever the company has a little golf outing, you got to step up to that tee box and we're going to find out if you actually can golf the way that you say that you can golf. It's one of the reasons I like track and cross country so much because that clock doesn't lie. You can't, the parents can't manipulate the coach into playing their kid if it's football, soccer, basketball, something like that. Nope, it's all about that clock. You can convince yourself that you're a pretty good runner, but either you can make that time or you can't. And coaches are there to help us make the time. How? By keeping us honest in our training, disciplining us to stretch, to eat right, to get our sleep so we can run our best so we can make the time. No excuses, no lies, no manipulation, just doing the next right thing, pursuing a truth. So as you start thinking about how am I gonna get after these lies in my life, consider a coach. And what I mean by that coach is, this is a team sport, this whole church thing. 
Find someone to keep you accountable. Someone that you can share the lies in your life. And you can be accountable to each other. And you can work it out together. It's so important. That's such an important next step. And if you need to call him a coach, call him a mentor, a disciple, whatever you want to do. It's just so important that we take that next step this next week as we start working on this. Because at the end of the day, God sees us for who we really are. We can't hide from him. We can't lie to him. He sees through it all, and he despises lies and deceits because they run counter to who he is as the author of truth. So if we've been born again and we're pursuing a relationship with God, we must also be in pursuit of the truth. No bias, no spin, no exaggeration, no deceit, no manipulation, just right, honest dealing, focused on the things of God, doing that next right thing, even if people don't like us. And not for the sake of morality, not because truth is virtuous, noble, or something to aspire to. No, Paul tells us the reason right here. It's because we're members one of another. That's the reason, because we're members. The word member is melos, which means part of a body. And Paul's been teaching us since we started chapter 4, the beginning of the year, all about this thing called the body, the church. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus, represented by that unique puzzle piece you see up there, are all part of God's master plan set in place before the foundation of the world to unite all things in Christ. So we are all part of one body, the church. And since we're united in Christ and we lie to each other, we're actually lying to ourselves. And we already saw how insane that is. But there's something even worse here. We're lying to Jesus, who is the head. And we're lying to the Holy Spirit, who unites the body. And to see why this is kind of a big deal, let's close by looking at Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. After Pentecost, and all the believers had received the Holy Spirit, or were beginning to receive the Holy Spirit, the saints agreed that they would sell their possessions and give their proceeds to the church. But Ananias and Sapphira sold their property and kept some of the money back for themselves. So Peter confronts Ananias when he learns of this with these words. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back yourself part of the proceeds of the land? You have not lied to man, but to God. And Ananias immediately fell down and breathed his last. Same thing happens to Sapphire a few minutes later. You see, lying to God has real consequences. He knows all things. How could we ever think we could get away with lying to him. So we got to put off falsehoods. we got to speak the truth because we've been born again and we're members one of another now. And that's why Paul teaches we can't be in a relationship with Jesus and each other and be living a life of lies. We simply must put it off. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in all humility, contrite over the sin of falsehoods that permeate our lives. We are so very sorry that we have corrupted your holiness. We failed to play the role that you've called us to as part of your church. Even lying to you 
by how we try to make things seem different than they really are, but especially in our prayers. Convict us, counsel us, comfort us to speak truth to our neighbors and to ourselves for the sake of your church and for the sake of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.